We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. In just a second, we'll be joined by Brett Dawson of the Oklahoman. If you're a listener to this podcast, that name probably sounds familiar. Brett's been on the pod before. He's one of our favorite guests. Always has a ton of insight into the Oklahoma City Thunder as well as the NBA as a whole. Make sure to read Brett's work at newsok.com. That's the Oklahoman's website. And be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at bdawsonwright. With that, let's get to it. All right, we are pleased to be joined by Brett Dawson, Thunder beat writer for the Oklahoman. Brett, you and I uh, have been trying to set this up for what feels like months. You've been dodging my emails. Uh, I was dodging yours for a little bit at one point. This almost came to blows, uh, but I'm glad we finally got it worked out. And I believe, uh, if my records are correct, you are now the first three-time guest on the Rotowire NBA podcast. I mean, what an honor that must be. I, I feel like I've only been on twice, but it's possible that this – I feel like this is only my second one, but it is possible that you're confused by how long it took to schedule this one that you sure. thought maybe I had agreed and already done this. I mean, but, it might uh, even be the first. I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely did it once. I'm convinced I've done it one time. I'm not sure if I've done it, but I'll do it another time. It, we should just probably work on scheduling that now yeah. so that we maybe get that done sometime around the All-Star break or the start of the playoffs or something along those lines. I, I will take every bit of the blame for how late this is. This is all my fault. I did a really, really bad job of communicating, so that's me. Right, the best ability is accountability. I like to hear that. Um, I'm glad I didn't get portist. I was really afraid that was going to happen. <laughs> it was a generous offer by you. 
Uh, yeah. so, the, so the last time we talked, again, according to my records, I could be wrong, was mid-July. The Thunder had already acquired Paul George at that point, so for, things were on the up and up. But at that point, we also had no idea that Carmelo Anthony would be joining him two months later. Did you ever see that coming at all, like until the day it happened? No, I knew there was some interest in Carmelo. Um, I didn't know how how much that was mutual. And obviously with him, it had to be mutual because he had the no trade clause and he had a lot of say in what happened. And I still think if the Knicks had been willing to do something with Houston, that's what would have happened. But the later it got, the closer it got to the actual start of the season. And, and it actually did happen like two days before camp opened. Um, I think that situation in New York just sort of became untenable. Uh, the Knicks couldn't have him around, and I don't think he wanted to be around, and so he was willing to open it up a little bit more. Um, but I, I never thought he would say uh, – I never thought he would give the clear to Oklahoma City. I didn't think he would do it. Um, you know, it turns out he has a bit of a relationship with Russell Westbrook, and he has a pretty good relationship with Paul George from the, their Olympic days. And I think those guys kind of, uh, you know, set this up a little bit, helped helped uh, make it happen. And um, but But I think – you know, Friday night when we heard that he was willing to put them on the list before they traded for him on Saturday morning, even then I was a little skeptical because I didn't know if New York would be willing to take Ennis Canner. So that's a long way of saying no. I didn't see it coming until the very end. So you mentioned the Olympic connection, uh, and you actually wrote recently about Olympic Mellow. And from that story, uh, which you can read at newsok.com, I believe right. that's the right URL. Melo is very much aware uh, that this kind of pseudo alter ego exists. And, you know, from the way he phrased it, his quotes in that interview, it sounds like he believes that there's a chance that, you know, playing alongside Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams and Paul George means that maybe we'll see a little bit more of, you know, who we've come to know as Olympic Melo in an actual NBA setting. Yeah, I think there was always a feeling that this would be the second act of his career. You know, that this would be the, the, the way he would wind down is is get into a situation where he could be a little bit more of a spot-up guy because he's still great at that. He's a great spot-up shooter. Even as a guy who draws a lot of defensive attention and had the ball a lot in New York, he still was a really good spot-up guy. The trick is getting him good spot-up opportunities uh, in the situation they had the last couple of years there where they, you know, they just weren't very strong on the perimeter beyond him. Um, so I think, you know, there always was some sense of that. And, and and in talking to Coach K for that story, you know, one of the things he told me was, you know, guys can play with great players. It's really not that great a compliment to say, like, this guy knows how to play with great players. What's key, he said, is like being able to play off great players. And what that means is Carmelo knows his spots on the floor, but he's also really good at reading the way a defense is going to react to other guys. And so he'll get to his spot, and then based on what the defense does with the other guys on the floor, he'll find an open spot. He'll move to that space. Um, he should get a lot of open looks here. I mean, like he should, you know, teams are not going to ignore him, but I think he's going to get a lot of looks uh, on, and a lot of spot up opportunities and a lot of opportunities as a trailer. And if you look at the numbers, Russell Westbrook creates those opportunities for guys. So, you know, I think he's going to be willing to do some of that. Now he's got habits. He likes to get the ball at the elbow and go to work. We've all seen Melo do that. You know, the sort of, uh, you know, his, the, the way he operates there and the way he sort of stops the ball that's a habit they're going to try to break, and that's that's not easy for a 33-year-old. But there is at least a blueprint for what it could look like. So speaking of alter egos, uh, obviously we're all aware uh, of Melo's other alter ego, which has, I think, overtaken Olympic Melo at that point, or at this point, and that, that's Hoodie Melo. Every time you're at the facility since he's gotten there roughly a month ago, like is he just constantly wearing that thing if he's not playing in a sanctioned NBA game? I see. I'm trying to remember if he still wears it every single day. He did at the beginning. I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to picture 
whether he actually had his hood up today. He didn't when he talked to us. He doesn't often when he does the interviews. Um, so I don't remember if he wore the hood today. He did. I mean, he wore it to media day and that was like, somebody said that some of the other players told him at media day, Hey, put it on. It'll be fun. So I don't think he, like he showed up necessarily thinking he had to do that. Um, but yeah, he likes the hoodie. He likes, he likes hoodie mellow and he, he sort of likes the way that took off. He got a big kick out of some other guys doing it and people calling John wall hoodie, John and, and everybody sort of like referencing it back to mellow. Um, and what he said was that it really just came a thing where it, he started with like, just like a, a regular, just like a hat, just like a, you know, like a, uh, I don't know what you, what you'd even call it. Like, a um, a beanie, I think is what he said, because his hair was unkempt. Like he was growing his hair out a little bit. It was in an ugly, awkward phase and he wore this hat and then he just switched to the hood and he sort of liked the idea that the hood was kind of like shielding him from everything that was going on around him. He started to think of it as symbolic, like the hood is sort of blocking out New York and all the noise and the Nick stuff and all the past with Phil Jackson and the trade talks. It just let him go play. And so he liked playing with it and he kind of had fun with it. And he's yeah, he's enjoyed it. He's been he is really fun to cover. And the guys in New York told us that when when the, the trade happened. That, that we would enjoy just kind of dealing with him. And it's very much true. Yeah, that is, that's funny that you mentioned the, the unkempt hair. Cause I remembered, you know, those photos that became so popular over the summer from the, you know, the black ops sessions or whatever they're called in New York. Like I legitimately thought he was Rashid Wallace at first. <laughs> yeah. like, that, that's that's yeah. really what it looked like. Yeah. He, it was a, uh, yeah, he, he said it was just a weird phase for his hair. So he's got like a little bit of hair growth now, but it's, you know, he doesn't have to mask it and he doesn't have as much, uh, stuff he needs to shield out now i guess so so the hoodie is you know it's there but it's not as it's not as omnipresent as it once was hey brug it's alex here uh so we all know oklahoma city at the top the big three we got westbrook paul george uh carmelo anthony but is the lack of depth now a concern i mean the team basically had to trade away all their depth to acquire these guys and now off the you know the some of the first guys off the bench you're talking about uh you know raymond felton and patrick patterson um, the loss of Enos Cantor getting like 14 some odd points a game. I mean, is that is that really a concern that this team has? Um, are one of the big three just going to have to be on the court at all times for this to work? Well, it's interesting that you you phrase the question that way because I think Raymond Felton and Patrick Patterson are the two of the guys they feel really good about. Um, in part because, like, if you look at them last year, they just fell apart when Westbrook was off the floor. They were playing, you know, at times Cameron Payne before they traded him, but mostly Samaje Christian who is not really an NBA, you know, they waived him, not really an NBA caliber player. He's a fine third string point guard, and they almost kept him uh, in that role this year, um, but opted to go in with an open roster spot for like a variety of reasons. But they they needed a guy who was competent and experienced, and they felt like could just sort of handle those minutes and manage a second unit and not have the thing just come apart on him. And I think Felton has proven over the course of time, including just last year, that he can do that. He's, he's a guy who... The, the, the bottom is not going to drop out when he's at point guard. And so they feel really good about that. And I think if he's healthy, and right now that's still a question, but Patrick Patterson was going to be their starting power forward. And, and you could certainly have argued that he would have been one of the weak links of that starting lineup. But he's a guy who, if he's healthy, and that's, again, that's everything's a caveat. We just have to kind of assume health uh, once he gets back. But, you know, he's a really good three-point shooter. Uh, he's a good defender who can switch and do the things they like to do in terms of switching and help. Um, he fits really well with their sort of their persona as a team. Um, and so I think they feel really good about those two guys. And if he's healthy again, healthy, uh, they like Alex Sabrinas a lot. You know, that's a, that's a really good, I think they feel really good about those three guys coming off their bench. After that, there's some questions. They don't have a backup center. 
They're going to play Patterson there some. They're going to play Jeremy Grant there some. Dakari Johnson is a rookie who's been with their their G League team, the Blue, for a couple of years. He is not going to be a, a real factor. He's a rookie minimum. He was a second round guy. Um, you know, he, he's going to he might be a spot minutes guy against bigger teams where you need a, uh, another traditional big guy. Um, and and there's not really a small forward on the roster unless Terrence Ferguson, the rookie, is ready to do that. So uh, they do have some 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 questions on the bench. I think given how bad their bench was last year, they actually do feel better about it. Um, and I do think that one of those three guys is going to be on the floor, if not every minute, most every minute of the game. I, I, you're you're especially going to see either Paul George or Mello out there with that second unit quite a lot. Have you had a chance to talk to Patrick Patterson? Like, is he on board with, with the Mello edition? I, I assume he came to OKC under the pretense, like you said, that he'd be the starting power forward. I mean, he's, he's been in the league seven years. He's only started... 70 odd games like is he okay does he understand that you know shifting to the bench isn't necessarily a demotion when the guy who's replacing you you know is a future hall of famer and mellow well that's interesting there's two things one he says he was never promised the starting spot but i do think the assumption was that he was going to start at power forward i think when he came here um he he made very clear that that neither billy donovan nor sam presti told him that that spot was his um the second thing that's sort of interesting i've known pat for a long time i was actually covering kentucky when he was there um, and, and he has like an interesting past with this sort of thing. He was he went to Huntington High School in West Virginia, where he's from, uh, won a couple of state championships. And then his senior year, you know, he's a big time prospect being recruited by Florida and Kentucky and Duke. And O.J. Mayo comes back, who used to live there uh, and comes back and is this huge superstar and kind of, you know, to a degree overshadows Patterson because He's another he's a huge name. He's been a sort of legendary figure around that part of the country since he was in like the seventh or eighth grade. And it kind of going into Patterson's last high school season, he kind of gets a little bit overshadowed. Well, he goes to Kentucky and he's on some not very good teams for a couple of years, but he's a star player. He's their best player. Um, Jody Meeks uh, comes out that that second year that they're there and is probably, a you know, he's, he has a better year. But Patterson is a big name and the Meeks goes pro and Patterson's coming back. Well, John Calipari comes in and here comes John Wall and Demarcus Cousins. And he gets totally overshadowed in his last year of college. Like he's an afterthought because they added two top five picks and another first rounder in Eric Bledsoe. And all those guys are like the Calipari guys who came in late. And he just sort of rolls with it. I mean, I, you know, I talked to a bunch of people close to him this summer about those experiences, even before the Carmelo thing happened. And they said, look, this that stuff just doesn't phase him. That's not what he's about. It never has been. He never complained about that stuff. Uh, and so I think if you were going to have a guy go through this exact experience with Carmelo, he's probably got the best demeanor to do it. Sure. And are you, is there any concern at all that this team is going to turn into three guys kind of taking turns on offense? And even if it does, is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, all these guys can are clearly great ISO players when they have to be. Um, and if that ends up being the case, do you think that can work in the playoffs against teams like the Warriors and the Rockets? You know, it's, it's interesting. I just talked to Billy Donovan about this the other day because um, I was curious about this. It is. It's their, last year. Those guys, Westbrook, Carmelo and Paul George in that order were all top 10 guys. And I don't remember. I think it's two, three or I think I think Russ was maybe second in points per game in ISOs. Uh, I, I think Carmelo was fourth, maybe fifth. And Paul George was maybe ninth, something like that. They're all really good at it is the point. Um and, and I asked Billy about that because, look, those guys are good at those things, right? Like Carmelo's good at catching the ball at the free throw line and kind of going to work on guys and shooting over top of guys. Um, Paul George is really good coming off a screen. You get him the ball and he's now he's kind of one on one against a guy after he comes off that screen. and He just kind of goes to work and he can shoot over guys. And obviously Westbrook is great putting the ball on the floor and going by his guy. 
And they don't want to stop doing that stuff. Those guys are really good at those things. So Billy Donovan said the challenge, and it is a challenge, is you're going to incorporate that stuff in an offense that, one, encourages the other guys not to stand around, uh, and two, doesn't rely strictly on that stuff. And one of the things he said is going to be really key is those guys can take all those kinds of shots they want. They need to take none of them over two guys ever. Never shoot over two guys. Never be in a situation where you're in an isolation situation and the help comes and you're still trying to score. Move the ball. And if they'll just do that, if it's as simple as that, he's really happy with that. Because, you know, he kept saying those guys do all those things very well. So he'd be crazy to not have them do it anymore. I think the challenge becomes in, in you know, getting them to make that extra pass and keep those other guys engaged. And that's, that's going to be a challenge because I think, you know, he said they're very committed to that now. And I believe him. I can't see practice, but I believe that he's telling the truth. I think the question is what happens when it's a two-point game and you're in the final minutes. And I'm not that concerned with, like, oh, who gets the last shot or whatever. I'm concerned with do all these guys kind of revert to those habits in those situations. Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree watching the Cavs last night, you know, you saw a little bit of that with with Wade and and with Rose. You know, everybody says the right things throughout the offseason. Everyone says it's going to work. And, you know, granted, with a team as talented as Cleveland, it probably works either way because you have LeBron James. But Dwayne Wade's ISO in left and right. Derek Rose is shooting threes. Like both of those guys attempted more shots than Kevin Love. Uh, so I, th- I think to some degree it takes a while and it takes some on court, you know, a large on court sample size to really see what it's going to look like. Um, you know, looking at looking back at, at some of the the other super teams, uh, I guess and I think it's fair to call this a super team, even in an, in an era where there are maybe five or six super teams in the NBA. Who becomes the proverbial Chris Bosh? Uh, of this big three in OKC like I feel like it's safe to say the way Russ conducts himself both on and off the court there's zero chance that he ends up sinking back into that role but to me it seems like by default one of either Paul George or Carmelo Anthony is going to have to take a back seat offensively they're not going to have three guys averaging 20-25 points per game yeah this is a it's a great question because we we talked to Michael Lee from Yahoo on our podcast about this and, and Michael has done some writing about super teams and big threes particularly. And that's the thing. It's the one thing Michael said they all have in common. Somebody has to be kind of willing if it's going to work. Somebody has to be willing to to do a little bit less to get a little bit less. And that's going to be really interesting with this team, because I think if you look at it on paper, the guy who should take a step back is Carmelo, um, the guy who maybe is the most um, wired to do it seems like Paul George, although I don't know if that's true. I don't know Paul as well, you know, as I know Russell, I know Russell's not going to do it. Um, and you know, you know, Melo sort of from afar. Um, but if you look at, at the way they play and the way they're going to play again, Melo is going to get catch and shoot opportunities. He's going to get a lot of shots as a trailer. If he can be like a traditional, well, traditional, what we now call a stretch four, what's become the sort of prototypical stretch four. If he's willing to be that guy and give up a little bit of the posting up and a little bit of the sort of ISO at the elbow, if he's willing to do that stuff, that's going to be a little bit smaller part for him. But I think that makes them way, way better because I think you want Westbrook initiating offense. Obviously, that's going to happen. You want Paul George initiating offense. I think he's going to do that a lot. I think he'll have the ball in his hands a bunch with the second unit. Um, and even some Westbrook's shown a willingness, you know, which he did with Durant too, to just kind of come up the floor and let somebody else bring it. Uh, he's okay with that. Uh, and, and I think he's in preseason and we'll see how this goes. He's even been willing to, to crash a little less and get out and run a little more and not worry so much about his rebounding numbers. So that, that's going to be an interesting thing to see if it, it continues into the regular season. But I think that the, just the way those guys are, where they are in their careers, 
Um, Russell Westbrook should be peaking, and last year looks like you know was his best year. Paul George had his best year last year. Those guys are in the peak of their careers. They're in the the high points of their primes right now. Carmelo isn't. He's 33 years old, and he has that great skill. I mean that that ability to stretch a defense and make those open shots that he's going to get. Uh, that's a huge, huge element for them. It's a huge part of what they want their offense to be. So, to me, I think in as much as they're going to have a guy who has that, none, none of those guys have the same personality, I don't think, as Chris Bosh. But if they're going to have one of those guys, it probably needs to be Carmelo. Fantasy basketball fans, basketball is back, which means FanDuel is back. It's fantasy basketball for everyday fans. New contests starting every day. No busted seasons. There's something for everyone on FanDuel. Tons of contests to choose from starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, select your players, and watch your score in real time. I know I'll be playing tonight. I can't speak for Alex, but I'm assuming he'll probably have five or six lineups going. Over two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com RW. You'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription with your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com RW to get that offer. Void where prohibited. Brett, you mentioned you know Russell Westbrook maybe getting out and running more in transition as opposed to going for offensive boards or deferring the ball a little bit. And I mean, being in the fan fantasy industry, we get asked this question all the time. I mean, what what's the general expectation for Westbrook this year? Was last year's output is that like kind of a one year? Is that going to be an outlier in his career, or is he going to you know come back and really just try to average a triple double again? It's a great question, and the thing with Russell is. Uh, there is no conventional wisdom when it comes to Russell. There's no predicting what's going to happen. Like, you know, if you talk to people around the league this summer, everybody said there's no logical reason for him to sign that five-year max extension right now. He can still get it next year. He can get a no trade in it next year. He's got the option next year of signing something different. So he could get a two-year with an option or a three-year with an option. He's got so much flexibility. He's in so much more of a position of power. He could know what. Paul George and Carmelo Anthony are thinking the logical thing is wait until next summer. And of course he signs and he waits all summer to sign and then gets back here and does it. So that the, I, I said all that to say, we don't know what Westbrook's thinking ever. And so it what's hard to know about him last year. And I do think last year took a toll on him. It was hard. Um, now, whether he liked uh, doing it and liked sort of the adulation of it and liked the, the record setting nature of it and would like to chase it again, that's hard to say because that's where the balancing act is. I don't know if he liked it so much that he wants to keep doing it or if it was so exhausting that he would like to stop. My inclination is to think the latter, that he is not as interested in going out and chasing rebounds uh, as he was last year, that he's on a team now that he feels like can compete, whereas I don't. I think last year he felt like he had to drag everybody along. Uh, I don't think he feels that way. And we didn't see him. Look, he went out and occasionally would chase a triple-double. There's no question when when Durant was here, but not consistently every night. He wasn't doing it all the time. So he has a a sort of body of work with another superstar that, if it is a blueprint for what he's going to do from here on, would suggest he's okay going and getting six or seven rebounds. Um, and getting out in transition a little bit more and putting some pressure on the defense that way as opposed to, you know, crashing the glass all the time. So my my thought is that, no, he's not going to chase it. I think he's still going to get a big number of triple doubles, especially, you know, relative to what we thought was a big number two years ago. Um, but I don't think you're going to see him say, I got to get 43 this year. At any point last year, did Westbrook admit to you or any other media members that he was like actually trying to chase a triple double? No, no, he actively denied it, even in case 
it clearly, I mean, the so low obvious. point, the low point of their season last year, and I, I was not there. My beat writing partner, Eric Horn was on this trip, but uh, they were in Phoenix. He was one away from the record and they, they were, they were getting stomped by a bad Phoenix team and they put him back in late and it was really clear. And at that point, th- that was the most egregious one of the year. And that one wasn't just, he was trying to get a triple double. It was, he was trying to get the record and get it out of the way. They had just a couple of games left and they just, they clearly wanted it over and they just wanted him to get it. But it was, it was a, a really gross, you know, chase of that triple double. It was just a, a blatant pursuit. And then after the game, everybody said it wasn't, and it was kind of embarrassing. I think it just looked bad for everybody all around. Now uh, I think he understood how embarrassing it was. And he came out the next game against Denver and played, probably his signature game, the game that won him the MVP. He breaks the triple-double record. He makes the three-pointer at the buzzer to knock the Nuggets out of the playoffs. It's like the moment. It's the the shot that that lingers from last year. So he responded to that criticism and everything, but the criticism was utterly justified, and, and it was there were times when he was clearly doing it. And look, strategically, there are some things. They liked him crashing the boards last year. They liked him just getting the ball in his hands and turning and going. Uh, they weren't real confident with a lot of other ball handlers or a lot of other guys bringing the ball up the floor. So there were some strategic reasons they wanted to do some more of that. But at a certain point, absolutely, he was just trying to get the numbers as well. That didn't hinder them from winning, I don't think, but it was what he was trying to do. And you wrote about this today um, about how OKC is going to probably start shooting a lot more threes. I mean, last season, this team, it had an identity of scoring in the paint, um, just bruising opponents with Adams, Cantor and, and Gibson after the All-Star break. Um, They're just dominant on the glass. Is that is that just no longer going to be the case at all? Um, are we going to see like a, a perimeter oriented team like the Warriors um, the Rockets, a more up-tempo three-point shooting team and less of the kind of bruising post-play that, that we saw a lot last season? Yeah, I think by necessity that's going to be the case, that they're going to play a little bit more that way. And it's great. The weirdest thing is to cover the Thunder and have people on Twitter being like, boy, they really need to get another big guy. They don't have enough big guys. Because for years, I mean, like I've only been here for a year, but even last year it was all these complaints about you know this traditional sort of thing of having Adams and Cantor and you can't play those guys together because it creates so many defensive problems and they got to get smaller. Now they got smaller and everybody's worried about how small they are. So it's, it's, it's weird because for so long, you know, whether it was having Durant and Ibaka or then, you know, uh, having that, that mix of Ibaka and Cantor and Adams, or just having Adams and Cantor, they had so many big bodies they could rotate and they did become really known as like this team that was they, the one thing you knew when you played the Thunders, you were in for a fight on the boards. They were going to guard you. Uh, they obviously had two dynamic scorers when they had Durant Westbrook, but they were going to batter you on the boards. And that is the thing that continued beyond Durant. And I think that identity to some extent is gone. Now, they still want to be a great rebounding team. Patterson's a good rebounder. Carmelo is a good rebounder. People, it, It's sort of lost in the shuffle of all the other stuff about Carmelo, but he's good at it. Um, they won't be the same kind of rebounding team. They still expect to rebound the ball well. Um, whether they will actually do it or not, that that's, that's still, they still want it to be part of their identity, but they are going to be very different. I mean, if you look at what they are in terms of, you know, they, they, they're going to have way more spread when they run spread, pick and roll, they've got way more shooting out on the floor. They are going to still be really good and, and arguably better at, at kind of switching all over the floor. Um, they've got a lot of defensive versatility, but yeah, that thing, that thing that has been a very big part of them is probably gone. I feel like that's got to be for the better, though. I mean, like it was almost to an extreme last year, especially with Westbrook being, you know, I think he had the best three-point shooting year of his career. 
last year, but that was by Westbrook standards. You know, I mean, when, when one of the guys on the court in Robertson is a complete non-factor, your yeah. center is a non-factor from three, you know, Cantor every now and then would step out. But I, I think at some point, you know, obviously the advantages and rebounding were there, but the way that the NBA is trending now, it's really, really hard to consistently win games when three or four guys on the court, you know, aren't respected outside of 15 feet. Yeah, I mean, you know, Billy Donovan, I talked to him about that for, for the story that I wrote. That was in our special section today. Um, you know, and he's like, everybody talks about spacing and spacing and spacing, but the defense really determines spacing. So what he said was, you could put, if you put five guys who can't shoot, you can space them out to the half court line if you want, but the defense is going to stay packed in. And so that that's the thing they ran into last year. Just so little respect for their guys as outside shooters. Oladipo had, I think, his best three-point shooting year because, again, uh, much like I think will happen with Carmelo, Westbrook creates a ton of catch and shoot opportunities. And so Oladipo got a lot of those. Um, but the respect level for Oladipo was, you know, like, let's get out there, but let's, you know, let's not let that distract us from Westbrook. That's Westbrook is still the priority. You also saw like the Steven Adams pick and roll became way less effective than it had been in the playoffs the year before that had looked like a really good weapon for them when they had Durant. And teams kind of took it away because there was so little spacing and so little respect for the guys who were shooting the ball that you could kind of crowd that. So that comes back now a little bit. I think being smaller and more versatile defensively and shooting three-pointers better is is well worth the trade-off they're going to make on the, the rebounding side of it. But the, the, the rebounding side of it is going to be a trade-off. It's going to happen. We've seen the videos, um, you know, on Twitter when when Melo landed at the airport in OKC. There were fans all over mobbing him. Similar situation for Paul George. Um, you know that that stuff uh, aside, like how much really has this OKC fan base embraced these two and and what this team is going to be relative to last year? And do you think that these additions ha- have really done a lot to heal the wounds, you know, that were opened up by KD leaving? Yeah, I mean the Durant wound will always be there. And, and, you know, unless Durant, we, I talked to people about this yesterday, unless Durant someday comes back here, you know, if he does the late career thing where he's like the spot up guy, you know, for a young thunder team or something, th- there's always going to be some wounds and th- those will heal in time. They will, you know, th- that stuff will be, it won't be quite so fresh, but stuff keeps happening to keep it around. You know, the stuff on Twitter this year, um, <laughs> PJ Dozier yesterday, which was bizarre, you know, like they, they signed this guy to a two-way contract and he gets Durant's number. And it turns out there's this like emotional reason why he wants the number, but it still caused a stir and Durant's agent was tweeting about it and all that sort of stuff. So that's relative. Those, those, the, the healing of those wounds, but yeah, it's, it's happening. You know, I can't tell you honestly, how many Thunder fans have told me this year, this is the most excited I've been for a Thunder team. And in some ways that's, bonkers right because they had you know look what they've had in the past here but i think the thing is they had a little taste of how the other half lives they realize how hard this is um and i think last year was sobering for people kevin durant walked away and it wasn't just that durant left but you had this window of time where it felt like westbrook was probably going to have to be gone before he re-signed that extension last summer um and and even last year this sort of Paul hung over everything of like, well, okay, but Westbrook didn't sign long-term and after next year he could leave again. And there was all these concerns. He had a great year and everybody got sort of rallied around his season, but there was, there were all these worries about what the future held. Now, obviously Paul Jordan, Carmelo Anthony can walk if they want to, but Westbrook is locked in. People at least have the security of knowing he's going to be around. And these guys have given them something that kind of, you know, it offsets the Durant thing a little bit. They're going to play 
uh, way more similarly. They're going to look a lot more like they looked two years ago. Um, Paul George is is a great sort of you know uh, facsimile. You don't get the the genuine article with Durant, but like if you're going to pick a guy to just sort of plug in for uh, uh, the Kevin Durant spot. You could do a lot worse than Paul George in terms of just the things that he can do on the floor. So I do think it's made people feel good uh, and feel better and kind of have some ability to to at least get energized. I don't know if people really ever move on from KD here. Uh, I, it will happen in increasing degrees, I'm sure. But in terms of fully move on, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. But, yeah, there's no question that the, the airport things were that's an organized thing that they do here because they greet the team when they come back and all that. But it makes an impression, and it is reflective, I think, of just the way people feel. You know, they had a, a party for Paul George uh, at this new bar here that was like every, – the, the way everybody described it was that is not at all like something the Thunder would do. Uh, and it was just sort of capitalized on the on the excitement that people feel, and that excitement is really genuine. You can really feel it. Uh, it's very different around here this, than it was this time last year. Right, and you I'm, you mentioned, and the interesting thing about that is that Paul George, he can walk after this year. I mean, the fans are obviously giving you know him as much love as they can and, and trying to get him to stay, but do you think that this, this Thunder team is really capable of, I mean, contending against the Warriors this season? Do you think that the Warriors are vulnerable enough to where this trio of Westbrook, George, and Carmelo Anthony can possibly take them down? Do the Warriors get to have Draymond? Well, see, that's a good question. I mean, at, we should say at the time of recording this, we're still awaiting the results uh, of that MRI. But we'll, yeah, say, I mean, we'll, we'll assume that Draymond's there. Right, yeah. No, I don't think anybody's going to beat them in a seven-game series if Draymond, if they're healthy. And not, not not just Draymond. I mean, there's like, a you know, I think if Durant or Curry is not there, that also raises some interesting things. But looking at them yesterday, and obviously it's the first game, and you don't want to draw too much from the first game, but you watch them last night and you see – defensively where the cracks are when Draymond isn't there. Um, and, and these are Houston and Oklahoma city have the chance. Houston is going to be a great offensive team. Oklahoma city certainly has the chance to be one. Um, so I think, you know, can they beat the Warriors in a seven game series? I don't think they can. I think there's probably some organizational, uh, um, reality there too. I, I don't know that they necessarily think that they've built a team that can beat them. Um, but I think they feel like they've built a really good team. They feel like they've built a team that'll, that'll fight them and go toe-to-toe with them. And I think, importantly, what they also feel is, I think the sense in the organization, and we'll see if this proves to be true, is that they're going to be able, at the end of the season, if if things go the way they, they hope things will go, they're going to be able to say to Paul George, look, you can't get better than what we have. You know, this is the best bet you have to go after these guys because, you know, if you go to the Lakers, uh, you're in the same conference. You're still in the West. Your, your, your path to the finals doesn't get any easier. You're not going to have Russell Westbrook. You're not going to have Carmelo Anthony. Uh, you know, what's going to be left if the Lakers are going to make a uh, – uh, if they're going to get into a situation where they could get both LeBron and Paul George, what's going to be around those guys? Um, you know, there are some promising young pieces here. There's not a ton left because they did have to trade a lot of guys to make these – you know, these are two-for-one trades you'd make a million times out of a million. But you did have to give up some depth and some pieces to get these guys. Um you know, so the the I think the, the pitch is going to be if this goes well and if he likes uh, being in the organization and he likes playing with Westbrook, um, the pitch is just going to be that look at what we've done for Russell. We went out and got guys. We went out and got you. We went out and got Carmelo. Look at the track record here over the course of the time that, that Westbrook and Durant were together. We do this thing. We make these moves. We try to be there and be in the mix every year, and we promise that we're going to do that for you. Uh, and that's going to be the pitch. So, you know, I think this year is about being as good as they can be 
uh, and making the best pitch they can make. And I, I think that is the pitch. The pitch is not like, you know, the fans are going to come out every night and they're going to go crazy and they're going to try to do whatever they can to sort of sway it. Paul George is a grown man. That stuff doesn't, it's fun, but it doesn't matter. The pitch is going to be, can you set me up to win down the road while I'm here? Uh, and they're going to try to show him that they can do that. So we, like we said before, you know, we're still awaiting the Draymond news. By the time this is up, it'll probably be out. But regardless, um, you know, we were kind of bantering about this uh, out in the office earlier today of like, you know, the common refrain for teams like Houston and OKC and Cleveland and Boston, uh, at least before last night, is you got to be ready in case there's an injury. You know, you never know when someone can tweak a yep. knee or turn an ankle. Like, you know, you never want to root for injuries, and, and I don't think anyone in the NBA does. But like, no, absolutely not. No, people, I, I, by the way, people here would get real mad, but I I really like Draymond, so I want to make oh, that very clear. Like, you know, big Draymond Green fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily root for the Warriors, but all those guys individually. I mean, of course you have to yeah. respect it. But, I mean, the, the, my question was going to be, if there was to be an injury to one of Golden State's big four guys, like, who do you think they they would struggle most to replace? Like, I think it's Draymond, and it, and it really might not be all that close. I, you know, I sort of th- – I had this conversation with somebody in the summer, and I – I sort of fall along the same lines. It's weird to say because they got two MVPs on the team. Right. Um, but they, they and they are such a good offensive team that, you know, you, you can plug and play a little bit there offensively. But, man, that defense is what really sets them apart. That's why they're not Houston. No offense to Houston, which obviously just beat them last night. But, like, the big difference in those two juggernaut offensive teams is just the way the Warriors can lock down. And he's such a big part of that because, like, when I say I'm a big fan of Draymond Green, I don't mean I'm a big fan of everything he says and does. I'm a big fan of some of it because it's fun. But, like, the way he plays and the way he frees them up to play defensively and all the challenges he can take on, the wide range of guys he can guard – that's just an impossibility to replace. And obviously it's even harder when Iguodala is not there and, and you're missing another versatile guy. But nobody in the league is like him from that perspective. And I don't know if anybody in the league is really close to him in terms of, you know, Kawhi is a great defensive player, but in terms of the range of guys they can defend, I don't know if anybody compares to him. And so, yeah, because of the uniqueness of that, it, it might be him. Let's take a quick break so I can tell the listeners about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're planning a day out with friends, searching for a last-minute deal, or buying a gift for a loved one, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and they're fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I know all the guys in the office do as well, and it's by far the easiest way we've found to shop for tickets. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and to get you the most bang for your buck. SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available as well. Best of all, new users get $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ROTONBA, Again, that's promo code ROTONBA, R-O-T-O-N-B-A. That'll get you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. See you live with SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. All right, Brad, let's get to our rapid fire questions. Uh, let's see, where should we start? So many, so many good options. Uh... 
Let's all. All right. Are you a fan of the new All Star format? Um, so for those who you know, if you're not familiar, still twelve players from each conference, but it's essentially now a schoolyard draft. Uh, do you like that the NBA is shaking this up? I wish it was just twenty four players. I wish they hadn't done an East West division that way. Uh, but other than that, I love it because I think uh, we were talking to Paul George about this the day or two after they announced it. And as Paul George said, th- you know, this will make the lead up probably more fun than the game. Like the, the drama of who picks who and, and when is probably going to be more fun than the actual game. And so I am here for that. I want all that to happen. I want I really want Westbrook to be the first pick. Uh, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I want there to be some sort of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook element to this thing. And I certainly want there to be like a LeBron James, Kyrie Irving element to it as well, because that stuff is just fun. Um, So, yeah, I kind of wish they didn't have to take 12 uh, guys from the East because I think you'd get a a more sort of representative sample of the best guys if you opened, expanded a little bit more and let a few more West guys be in there. But other than that, I dig it. And that was not rapid at all. Wait, what's that? (laughs) That was not a rapid answer. I apologize. No, no, that's okay. I think that's how these always end up being. But no, I agree with you. I, I think, I think, you know, I was at the All-Star game last year. I, I don't know if you were there or not, but. Was not. Was, went. To, what'd you say? I was not there last year. I went two years ago in Toronto. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you didn't miss much. I mean, what I was going to say is that, you know, by the end of the game, I mean, yeah, Anthony Davis broke the scoring record, but that was maybe the, the biggest snooze fest in recent memory. And I feel like the NBA felt pressured to to change something and there's really only so much you can do to like increase competition within the game itself uh but like you said the lead up to the game is going to end up being the story rather than the game itself yeah i don't know how you make the game fun like i I had somebody suggest they should just do something different every year so like uh do a usa versus the world game um as (laughs) as somebody who who, uh covered kentucky the idea of a kentucky versus everybody game would be hilarious (laughs) you know um, but I, I don't know how you spice up the game. I don't, you know, like it's hard because it's just, you know, as some of the guys, I think I forget if it was Carmelo Anthony, somebody here said, as long as they don't, you know, give the, 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 um, home court in the playoffs to the side that wins, they can do whatever they want. Um, but I don't know what you can do. That's going to kind of make the game. It's hard to make, it's hard to legislate, um, you know, effort about like those guys don't want to hurt each other. They want to get out there and dunk. And, and I don't blame anybody for that. Cause the last thing you want is somebody hurt in an all-star game. But given that, and given that it seems every year that it's more and more kind of a leisurely offensive game. Um, I don't know how you change that. I don't know how you can get guys to care more about winning it or, or competing in it. Um, and if you can't do that, really what, what else is going to solve the problem? And since we're talking about the all-star game, it's in Los Angeles this year. Uh, if you could choose a host city, where would you hold it? And I don't know if you have some OKC bias or, I mean, no. as a media member, where would you want it to be held? Well, I didn't go to New Orleans last year, but I lived in New Orleans before I came to Oklahoma City. And I just don't think anybody, the game aside, nobody puts on an event like New Orleans does. And last year's is not really representative of the way they do it because they usually get a lot more time to plan than that. Um, but I just think I think New Orleans is the best in the country at just sort of putting on an event. Stuff is close. The city is fun. It's weird and like vibrant and just enjoyable. So uh, I I just think if you're going to pick an event, it's hard for me to think that New Orleans isn't the best place to stick it. All right. A lot of new uniforms around the NBA this year with Nike taking over the contract. As you know, I am a somewhat of an amateur uniform aficionado. Uh, Who are some of the best and worst new uniforms uh, that you've seen? 
Well, I love the I, I I really like the Thunder ones that are going to come out in November, and I'm I'm more attuned with the Thunder things than I am with everybody else's because I'm not as I haven't paid as much attention as I probably should have to some of these, um, but I do like the the really weird Thunder ones. They're, they're probably the best Thunder uniform there's ever been, and I've seen them. They're, they look they look really cool. They've got the weird blue stripes, and it's a very strange thing. Um, I, what's weird to me is the ones that I thought I was going to hate that I actually sort of like when you first saw pictures. So I like Minnesota's. I know that's crazy. I guess people hate them. No, but they, I, they looked a lot worse because the first screenshots yeah, they, were from 2k and yeah. like, they looked a lot worse on NBA 2k than they do in real life. Same with these Navy blue thunder ones, which look real weird on 2k and actually look great in person. Wait, so these uh, are these thunder ones, the ones where like the lettering is kind of offset in the middle. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. Like, I like those a lot. It's as if thunder is shaking the letters. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, and the whole thing is sort of built on sound and noise. That's the 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 stripes on the back are supposed to represent sound waves or whatever. Sure. I don't know all the logic behind it, but I think they look cool because they're just really different. Yeah. And the Thunder has, let's face it, like bad uniforms. It's not like a. That's I'm not breaking news here. Great, great color scheme, bad uniforms. Yeah, they're not. They have not been good. I do not like the Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love that. I don't like it. I think they should all say OKC just because right. it's it's too wordy. Bad. Yeah. 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 But so I really like those Minnesota ones. I'm trying to think of what else I kind of uh, kind of struck me. Um, you know, like I, I like some of the classic uniforms as well. I like that that you know I like that Boston and New York and mm-hmm. and to a certain extent the Lakers don't do a whole lot of different stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is I've seen that stand out. The Pacers have some really interesting ones now. They're kind of like the the like a mix of old school and kind of new. Yeah, you get the text arcing around the number. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I sort of like that idea. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, who, who else like did something really dramatic. Like Minnesotas are dramatic. Mi- yeah, Minnesota the like- horizontal stripes are relatively unprecedented in this like millennium. Um, <laughs> I, I've been hearing that like Orlando apparently has like a crazy fourth uniform coming that no one's seen yet. So we'll, we'll see about uh, that. I'm a little skeptical about about Orlando. I can't. Uh, I, I have not seen the the fourth Thunder one. But I keep getting all these descriptions of it, and they they all kind of conflict a little. So I don't know <laughs> if, if some of them are right. They're going to be cool. I'm I'm yeah. interested in seeing them, but I, I haven't. You know, like I, I've only heard descriptions yeah. to this point. I do um, like I, what Phoenix has done. Um, I mean, they're like the, it, it feels like an upgrade just because their previous ones were so bad. Um, yeah. Brooklyn's Brooklyn got I'll, better. Denver got better. I'll tell you what I love. I like Denver's a lot. Yeah. I, I what I really love is uh, I do. I mean, I can't help it. I'm like this is so. It's so mainstream, but I love that the Hornets are going to have that old Hornets throwback. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love those uniforms. I'm like one of those people that that's that's one of my all time favorite NBA uniforms. Mm -hmm. And I like what the Hornets have been doing in general anyway. I like ever since they they went back to that rebrand. I've liked everything the Hornets have done. So I like all that stuff. And, you know, the other one that that um, with some exceptions because the weird sleeve thing. But um, lately, the Wizards can't do any wrong in my mind because that color scheme is fun and they do cool stuff with it. And I like their stuff a lot. Like I, I didn't. Those weird onesies that Adidas put them in for a while were very strange with the racing stripe or whatever. Right. But, but I think the new the new Nike stuff is great. By and large, I think all the Nike ones they look really good. I think all yes. the screenshots and photos were a little dicey. But then when you see them on players in games, I mean they're falling apart, but they look really good. <laughs> yeah, well they're cut better too. Like, and, and I think the replicas are as well. Like the the problem with Adidas was if you wanted to buy like a replica jersey. The sleeves were like eight inches wide, so you're looking like Kenyon Martin at Cincinnati, you know, wearing one of those. Right. And, and now I think at least Nike has the fit down. Um, let's see what what's next, Alex. Um, looking at what's next, do you? So Vegas has the over under at Thunder Winds at fifty two and a half. Would you take the over or the under on that? 
you know, so I picked 52, so I guess I would take the under. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I had to do this for our special section. So uh, I went 52 and 30, and, and some of that to me is – I think they're going to be really good by the time this is all said and done. And I think I think this is a cop out thing to say, but I think next spring they'll be right there. I mean, I think they'll be if they're not the the, the toughest challenge to the Warriors, then I think they'll be one of the two toughest challenges to the Warriors. Um, I, I like the way they're constructed. I think if they're healthy, they're going to be really good. But I do think, you know, as we talked about earlier, they got three guys who are so used to doing what they want to do with the ball. And those guys have to adjust to what is going to be very different for all of them. Westbrook, as I said, Westbrook's played with the ramp, but these guys, they haven't really played with anybody quite like this, particularly Paul George, who just, you know, the, even those Indiana teams that were good, they weren't built with other stars. So, you know, those guys and Carmelo has played with other really good players, but he's never played with another player. I assume Westbrook is going to be the best teammate he's ever had in terms of how good a player he is at, at this stage of his career. I mean, Porzingis is great, but he's been young and, you know, Amari Stoudemire was kind of over the hill and those guys in Denver, when they had good teams, they weren't superstar players. They were good players. Um, so I just think that's going to be an adjustment. I think that's harder to do than it is to say, you know, they're all going to say that they're going to do the right things, but I just think that's hard to get out of habits when you have guys, these guys are veteran guys. And Paul Pierce said the other day, these are guys at the stage of their career where they want to sacrifice. And he thinks that will happen. I just wonder how fast it'll happen. Cause I do think it takes a long time to break habits. So who wins the MVP this year? I am so I also had to make that prediction uh, for our special section. I went LeBron because it feels like it's time for LeBron to win, and I feel like LeBron really wants it. Uh, um, and I just think like the weird thing that happens in MVP voting is there is this sort of group think that says, "Oh, we're tired of LeBron. We're going to give it to somebody else." And then you give it to somebody else for a while, and it's like, "Boy, we haven't given it to LeBron lately." <laughs> and LeBron will end up winning it. So like that's my thought right now. I I really debated back and forth between. LeBron and Durant and Kawhi, I think to me, because Westbrook, the numbers were so historic and so many people based the vote on one, the, the triple double thing. And two, the way he played at the end of games and sort of winning games that they just, you know, they would have otherwise lost. He bailed them out of a bunch of games. Um, that's that kind of season is so hard to replicate that. I don't know what he could do to make MVP voters give it to him again. I think they would just be holding it up in comparison to that season. So like I, I got a release the other day of some odds that had him as the favorite. I, I just don't think he's going to win it. Um, but to me, LeBron is always the best player. Still, he's still the best guy every year. Um, and sometimes people just buckle down and, and give it to the guy who deserves it. Well, I think LeBron somehow might be the the hardest guy to build a case against this year, just with the, with all the offseason moving. Like, I think Westbrook and Harden you can cross off right away. Like Westbrook is not topping what he did last year, and in order to win back to back MVPs, you basically would have to do that. Same goes for Harden. You know, both those guys added superstar teammates, so you know the you know player X carries the offense narrative is kind of out for those two. Um, you know, Kawhi's banged up right now. We'll see when he's back. I think he'll be in the thick of it. The Warriors, you know, I think that's just kind of the classic everybody takes votes away from everyone else. Steph's already won it twice. Durant's already got one. Draymond's not going to do enough offensively to ever get an MVP. And when you start crossing these guys off, it's like, well, especially now in wake of, of what happened to Gordon Hayward last night, it's like Cleveland should fairly easily coast to, at the worst, the two seed in the East. LeBron's most likely going to be averaging another 27-8-8. Eight and eight. And I think at the end of the day, like he's not going to have to put up a Westbrook type of season. It's just going to be a, you know, process of elimination. Like you said, it's kind of things have come back around and now it's LeBron's turn again. Yeah, I will say this for Westbrook and I don't think Westbrook has much of a chance to win it. Um, the one thing I actually looked this up for something that I did 
again for that special section. You should really check out that yeah, special Yeah, I'm hearing section. a lot about the special section. Is there, is there a way you can where, – where can people find this? Uh, people can see it at newsok.com. They can see all the stories. <laughs> they can't see the actual uh, visual representation of the section unless they subscribe to the paper, which they should go do. Um, but but the, uh, the, the, the second-year MVP thing, interestingly, a lot of the guys who have won it back-to-back have had slightly lower numbers the next year. What tends to happen is their team is better. Uh, than it was the year before, and that that has not been universally true, but pretty close. The numbers can kind of fluctuate up and down a little, and it won't be a huge difference. Like Nash's numbers, I think his scoring was up, but his assists were maybe down. Um, so there's not a clear. It's it's not that you have to be better uh, statistically, but I think in the case, like you said, I, I think with with Russ and with James Harden, their numbers were just so great that they're just going to have to take a dip. Yeah, with with Westbrook, it could come down to efficiency, even with all the right. new pieces. You know, if he keeps putting up. I mean, basically 30 and 10 with more efficient numbers, I suppose. Yeah, I think there could be a case there. Right. Well, the other thing, too, is like if he's going to win it, the Thunder would have to win like 60 games. Yeah. Unless they do that, I don't think he I don't think he has the narrative behind him, but we'll see. Yeah. And if they do that, then he's going to be right there in the mix because anybody who wins 60 when nobody expects him to win 60. If Washington goes out and wins 60 games, John Wall is going to be in the top three Mm -hmm. in the MVP voting. Um, But I think I think 60 is a stretch. You mentioned what if Washington wins 60 games? Who do you think is the most underrated team in the NBA? Oh, man. Um, it, you know, it, it could be Washington just from a standpoint that, like, what I've, I've had this thought, and I, it's not that I'm so crazy about Washington, but I keep having this thought that, like, what if Cleveland and Boston are both just really flawed? And it turns out that Washington's just a better regular season team than they both are. I don't think that's crazy. Like, I think that's possible. Not I not, think it's possible they just don't have the depth. Like if anyone yeah. in that t- if their top six gets hurt, which yeah. Keith already is, like they're in big trouble. Yeah, the other team. I think I don't know if I w- want to call them underrated, but like I-, I proposed the idea the other day that Denver could be as good as Minnesota, and people thought I was nuts. Uh, I got shouted down about that in the press room the other day. I don't think that's crazy either. I think Denver could be pretty good. No, I agree with you. I actually just talked uh, with, with Harrison Wind a couple weeks ago with BSN Denver. I don't know if you've crossed paths with him in the press box yep. at all, but we kind of had that same conversation. You know, Obviously, he I wouldn't say he's biased, but he covers Denver. He knows more about Denver than he does Minnesota. And you know, I think on paper, Minnesota is certainly more talented. But if you look at last season, you know, Minnesota was a 31-win team. Denver was a 40-win team. You know, Even if Minnesota added jimmy butler and added jeff teague and you have another year of towns and wiggins growing like nine wins is a lot to make up like denver is already nine wins better than minnesota so i i'm not i don't think that's crazy at all to suggest that that denver could be right there or even a couple games better yeah and i i still am a little bit hung up on the idea like i think i, I think thibodeau is great i like everything about them on paper and yet like you look at last year and towns and wiggins just aren't very good defenders and that's so much a part, obviously, of what of what Thibodeau does. The, the defense is so important. And like they, they added some better pieces defensively, but I still don't know how great they are defensively. I, they're going to be good. I think they're going to be really good. I, they, if, if they don't make the playoffs, you know, that's a shocking disappointment. They're going to be in that, I think, 5-6 range. Uh, I just don't think it's crazy to think they could be the 6 and Denver could be the 5. So I take it, you know, in the last 12 hours or so, you've seen the the Twitter photos of this Clay Thompson lookalike who was at the game last night in in Oakland. I have. This is, uh, you know, NBA Twitter is undefeated. It's the unbelievable. Best. Like I just, I hope, I hope it never changes. But yes, this is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the Clay Thompson lookalike. So, okay, so what is the weirdest, strangest thing you've ever seen anyone dress up as, or just in general, the weirdest or strangest thing you've witnessed happen in the stands at? A Thunder game, a Pelicans game, an Illinois game, a Kentucky game, any game that you've ever covered. What's 
What's the the oddest thing that's ever stuck out to you in the crowd? Oh my gosh, jeez. Uh, um, I mean, several fights, but that's neither here nor there. I guess <laughs> that happens uh, from time to time. I mean, like, look, people came dressed as cupcakes. Yeah, uh, that's pretty weird. Last year, that was a little bit odd. There, oh, you know, there were. Um, Without going into all the details of all the backstory or whatever, there's a woman named Karen Cipher who has a history with Rick Pitino. And I did see I saw many, many uh, inflatable Karen Cipher dolls uh, uh, confiscated at Kentucky's first game against Louisville after that whole extravaganza was going on. So that would definitely be up there among the weirdness. I don't even know what to say. Like a. I mean, for lack of a better term, like a sex doll that someone converted to to look Correct. like this girl or what? Oh. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, stuff, yeah. it was. Uh, they, they kept them out of the stands. They did stand there and confiscate them. But they, like they, it's sort of the the whole reason I know this stuff is because like you, you knew they were going to do something. So it was just you were kind of monitoring what they what the students tried to do. And and so yeah, uh, Kentucky stopped the students from doing that. But yeah, it was a very uh, b- bad move. Probably probably should have probably should have inflated those after you got into the student section. Right. Not Amateurs. trying to sneak. Back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a, a very hard turn back to basketball. Uh, a, I mean, basketball game. Oh, ba- yeah, that is true. It did happen at a basketball game. I think we're just going to pivot away from <laughs> we're, Yeah, we're pivoting. Yeah, that's not what this podcast is about. Um, but, I mean, do you have a dark horse candidate to win the scoring title this year? Oh, I, I picked Harden to win it, um, and that, that doesn't seem far-fetched. Uh, I don't know who I would think, you know, but just because I, I, I think, like, Westbrook won it last year, and I do think Westbrook's scoring will be down. I don't think LeBron's going to go out and win a scoring title. That's just not – he's you know he's typically a guy. We know where he's going to be points-wise probably. Um, you know, I don't know that there's anybody off the top of my head. You know who might win one – Anthony Davis might sneak up on yeah, us and win one true. of these one day. Um, that wouldn't totally shock me or anything just because, you know, maybe Harden's numbers come down just a little. They got a lot of guys who can score. The Pelicans have, like – like almost nobody shorter than six ten who can make a three, so they're going to need scoring from those two guys, and maybe that'll happen. What about Kyrie at this point? I mean, no Gorgon Hayward. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but in in light of last night, yeah, that's yeah. that one. That's actually that would not be a bad dark horse pick. I don't know what the odds are on Kyrie, but I bet you get uh, pretty good ones. Yeah, Kyrie uh, Lillard's another one for me. You know, if, if he has a couple hot months, he could be up there. I think someday Devin Booker might be the first player to ever average like 35 points and less than one assist, less than one rebound per game. <laughs> That's not, that also is not far-fetched. <laughs> not this year, but yeah. All right, just a couple more. Um, Alex claims that he's not a college basketball fan whatsoever. <laughs> I, I apologize for outing you here, but obviously okay. we know, Brett, that you've covered college basketball uh, in the past for some pretty prominent programs. Give me the outlook uh, real quickly on Kentucky. For this season, um, you know, obviously, once again, it's a, a reloaded team filled with freshmen and sophomores. But which players, just one or two, are you most excited to get a look at this year? I, you know, it's funny. I know almost nothing about them this year compared to years past. Uh, I the one guy I know I'm sort of intrigued by is Kevin Knox mm-hmm. um, because he's a guy who kind of they, they got really late. I don't remember exactly what the recruiting situation was with him. Who knows what the recruiting situation is with anybody these days? But um, I'm intrigued by him because there were some there are some very very unfair Kevin Durant comparisons because he's really tall and he puts the ball in Kevin and he, he shoots threes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, nobody compares him to Kevin Love weirdly. Right. Um, but I uh, yeah I, I'm interested to see him. 
they are super young. And this is the one thing I know because I just read a story uh, last night. It's one of the first things I've read about them all preseason that they have no juniors or seniors, which even for them is really unusual. Um, so they're going to be extremely young. And my guess is not not that good. Uh, and I think the sense is that they are loading up to bring some guys back and then obviously have another one of the kind of recruiting classes that they have. And then next year would be one of those sort of classic, you know, teams that makes a run at number one. No, I agree. I think, I mean, this team is loaded in terms of, you know, when you compare it to other programs, but like they, these last couple of recruiting cycles for them have been more like loading up and guys who like, who are ranked outside the top 10. So, you know, really good players, like, you know, Wenyan Gabriel yeah. types, like guys who might stay two, three years, but like they haven't, it, and it sounds odd because it's Kentucky, but like they, you know, they had De'Aaron Fox, they had Malik Monk last year, but you know, this year's incoming class doesn't really have one of those guys or a John Wall or a DeMarcus Cousins. You know, it's a lot of like, you know, low level five stars, if that makes sense, you know, guys who, who aren't necessarily one and done, which kind of goes against the recent Kentucky blueprint. Yeah, I think, you know, they have had some success in recent years, even as recently as when I was covering them. They, they had some guys who hung around a little while. Mm. So they had guys like Derek Willis and uh, and Dominique Hawkins. Those were guys who sort of put in a few years. Those guys both put in four years. Um, and I do think there's been some effort on his part, Cal Perry's part, to find a couple of more guys like that. Some guys who might stick around and stabilize a little um, because it is it's really hard. This will be a very hard year for him. He lost everybody. Uh, they just I, I don't think they'll be that good now that nature of them is because, like you said, they got a bunch of four and five star guys. And I can't even remember all the ones they have. I know, you know, I know Knox and I know Hamadou Diallo because Diallo is the guy who went through the, the process right. uh, a little bit this year and had a chance to go pro and decided not to. Um, so those are the guys I really know. I know they have a kid named Vanderbilt who gets hurt a lot or has had some injuries yeah. and has a, a recurrence of one of those injuries and who I knew about as a recruit because I just thought, why would that kid not go to Vanderbilt? Um, but like, I don't know a whole lot about the rest of the team. I just think that, uh, it's, it's incredibly young. And so the nature of them is they may be good by the end because they just have, you know, as much or more talent than most teams. But the, the sense I get is that this is not one of those teams that you think of as like a final four contender. All right. So DJ wasn't able to make it in. Uh, we were going to have this be a, a four person pod initially, but he ended up getting tied up this afternoon. Do you have any, any words that you want me to pass on to him on the OKC food scene? Uh, just, you can tell him that I, I went to Cheever's for the first time, um, the other day. Cheever's is not in Bricktown where he thinks the good restaurants are, but are not. Uh, Cheever's is in Uptown, uh, and it was delicious. And so the next time he comes into town, he should just stay away from Bricktown. Don't eat in Bricktown. Just find the other places, Midtown and Uptown are the places to eat. Um, tell him to go to Cheever's and just, you know, he can go down to Bricktown and watch a baseball game or, or get a drink or something, but he just needs to stay out of the restaurants. All right. I will, I will pass that on word for word. Uh, that is all we have for you, Brett. I'm extremely glad that, you know, despite all the back and forth that we were finally able to get this on the books. Great stuff as always. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I will do it anytime. I just, it might take me a month or so to arrange it, but I will do it. We'll keep that in mind. Make sure you follow Brett on Twitter at B Dawson writes, read his work at newsok.com. And this special section you can only find if you're a subscriber to the, to the paper, right? Well, you can only see the actual pages of it, but no, you can read all the stories. So just go to newsok.com today. There is a ton, whatever day you're listening to this, there's a ton of Thunder coverage because all our preseason stuff is still there. So um, yeah, you'll be able to find all that stuff. And if you look at, uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, as you mentioned, my pinned tweet is that uh, Olympic Mellow story I did that is kind of an interesting look at the way Carmelo Anthony played there.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.